Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you on this Lord's Day. It's good to be back after taking off a few weeks. I think it was out three Sundays. Appreciate very much Israel, our brother Israel filling in for me, and as well as Pastor Jeremy these last two Sundays. Uh, it was good to have some time off, spent some time with family down in Northeast Tennessee and came back here and did some stuff around the house. Helped an older son move to Florida in the meantime a little bit. So been a little busy, but good to be back. Good to be here with you this morning to spend time together in worship and now to open the word of God together. I wanna encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we'll be looking at the first 10 verses this morning as we continue to make our way through the Gospel of Luke. Very thankful for this gospel and so much here. Long chapters, lots of information, lots of teaching to consider. And this morning we turn to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Luke writes, He entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text. We pray now that by the aid of your Holy Spirit that you would give us understanding of it and application into our lives that we might bring you glory, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you had to summarize the mission of Jesus in one sentence, how would you do it? You had one sentence to summarize, to explain the mission and purpose of Jesus. What would you say? And we know that there could be a lot said. He did a lot of things in his earthly ministry as we've seen through the first 18 chapters so far in this gospel. We can consider his miracles, his teaching, his relationship to his disciples. There's a lot that we could include, but if we were limited to one sentence, what would we say? Well, the good news is, is that we don't have to be overly creative this morning because Jesus does it for us. Verse 10, we see Luke recording the very words of Jesus himself says of himself, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And that he did. 
all that he accomplished in his earthly ministry boils down to this one fact, that Jesus comes into the world to seek and save sinners. The story of Zacchaeus is one such story. It's one of the more well-known stories of the gospels, especially if you've grown up in church. Yes, some of you know the song. If you didn't grow up in church, that's fine. We're known for cheesy songs to teach children stories of the Bible. And I hate to let you down this morning, but we're not going to sing the song, but we are going to walk through the story of Zacchaeus and see the encounter of this wee little man to see this encounter that he had with Jesus and what this encounter has to teach us about the mission of Jesus, specifically regarding the mission of Jesus, about the grace of God. The story of Zacchaeus is a story of conversion. In fact, it's a story about the grace of God on display. We could call it scandalous grace because of who Zacchaeus was. He was not just a sinner, he was a notorious sinner because of his occupation as a tax collector. Tax collectors were known to use the tax system to rob people of lots of money, therefore the means by which he became rich. So yes, it's a story of conversion, a story of the conversion of a notorious sinner. This conversion story of Zacchaeus is a story, as I said, that highlights the grace of God. And if you, can, if you consider the greater context that, that, that we're seeing this take place in, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, as has been made clear over the past few weeks. He's now entered Jericho, not far from Jerusalem, just north of a bit. He's made his way into Jericho, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And so if you kind of do the math, he has about a week or so before his arrest and his death. And so what we're given here by Luke, if you jump down in chapter 19, you see in verse 28, the triumphal entry when he makes his way into Jerusalem. So now we have this encounter, this last encounter with a bystander on the way as he makes his way to Jerusalem. And it's as if Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving, giving us a final snapshot of sorts before Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem to ultimately go to the cross. It's as if we're getting this final snapshot of what Jesus came to accomplish and the grace of God that is on display in this mission. From this text this morning, from this story of Zacchaeus, I believe we see several things that highlight the grace of God as it's exemplified through the ministry and mission of Jesus. So we're gonna consider this morning three truths of God's saving grace. In Zacchaeus's case, God's scandalous grace. We're gonna see three truths of God's saving grace that should help us understand all the more the beauty of the grace of God as it's on display through the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. Three truths about God's grace. Number one, first truth that we see from this text is that the grace of God, grace is divinely initiated. We know the context here is Jericho, a town about 20 kilometers north of Jerusalem. Is that right, north? 
Yes. As Jeremy pointed out last week, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We've seen that. We know that since all the way back to chapter nine, I believe it was, we know that he had set his face towards Jerusalem. He's heading there to accomplish our redemption through his ultimate death on the cross and then resurrection. But he continues to minister along the way. It's not as if he just has that in mind. He's continuing to engage. He's continuing to do ministry along the way. And now we see in verse two, as he enters Jericho, we're introduced to a man by the name of Zacchaeus. We're told that he is a chief tax collector. He's not just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector and he's rich. And a side note, he was short. Due to the size, we're told, of the large crowds that were gathering to, to see Jesus and to follow him as he makes his way into Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, due to the large size of the crowd, Zacchaeus, we're told, could not see him because he's a short guy. So he runs on ahead of Jesus and he climbs up into a tree in order to get a better view. Now Luke is specific here in the details in which he gives us because he tells us not only is it a tree, it's a sycamore tree. It's a sycamore tree, trees that were known for their low branches and big leaves. He gets up into this tree because he could position himself there and while it would make it easier for him to see Jesus, to get above the crowd, it was also a place for him to be concealed because of the size of the leaves. Remember, he's a chief tax collector, he's a rich man. The last thing he wanted to do was to be seen, kind of perched in a tree trying to see Jesus. That would have been humiliating to him. And so it's likely that he's, he's concealing himself a bit in order to see all that's going on. Well, we know that as we continue into this passage, while Zacchaeus simply wanted a better view, he got a lot more than a good view, didn't he? As Jesus continues on and approaches the location where Zacchaeus was perched in the tree, Jesus approaches the tree, looks up and calls Zacchaeus out by name and calls him down. Now, up until this point, we know, and I think probably highlighted even so in the song, if you're familiar with the song, we could point out that Zacchaeus took effort to seek out Jesus. And in a sense he was, but all the text tells us is that he was short and all he wanted to do was just to kind of get a, to get a view of what's going on. This man that I'm sure he had heard of and man that was now making his way into the city, had done many miracles and had taught many things. I'm sure he was curious. But there's no indication here that Zacchaeus was pursuing Jesus because he wanted something from him. He was likely just curious, like many of the townspeople would have been. So he gets up in the tree and just watches. He's just there for the show. What's going on as this, this well-known teacher and healer makes his way into the city, into the town. What we find here in this text is not so much Zacchaeus seeking Jesus as much as we find Jesus seeking out Zacchaeus. As Jesus passes through, he makes it a point, we're told. Verse four, he gets up into the tree, Zacchaeus does. And verse five tells us, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up 
and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus makes it a great point here to go to the tree, to look up into the tree and to call Zacchaeus by name down out of the tree, inviting himself into Zacchaeus's home. What we see here in this text is that Jesus is in control of this situation from beginning to end. He is illustrating in verses one through five what he declares in verse 10. For I came to seek and save the lost. And he's demonstrating that very thing as he goes to Zacchaeus and calls him down by name. We know that when we pan out a bit and look at this passage as a whole, we know from verse nine that Zacchaeus received much more than a guest that day in his home. He received salvation. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus started his day just hearing about a man coming to town and thought, well, I'll get up in this tree and see what I can see. And by the time the day's over, Zacchaeus is a converted man. His life is transformed. And the reason his life is transformed is because Jesus sought him out. This text reminds us, brothers and sisters, that salvation is a matter of God sovereignly pursuing sinners and calling them out by name. Listen, those who are saved are saved because Jesus seeks them out and Jesus saves them. Think about your own salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your salvation is not the result of a random series of events. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is because Jesus pursued you and called you out by name. One of the things that I think often happens when we talk about the grace of God is oftentimes the grace of God gets diluted because we generalize it. You've heard me say this many times before, growing up in the hometown I grew up in, there used to be a sign, Jeremy could give testimony to this, he's seen the sign. This sign on this business, they were a Christian business, trying to do their best to minister to the watching community and that little sign that was on their window said, they had the picture of the three crosses and it said, he did all he could do, now the rest is up to you. And I wanted to throw a rock at that window every time I went by it because it just diluted the grace of God and put the entire responsibility of salvation in our hands as if God was somehow incapable, in a, unable to, to bring about redemption in our lives. Thankfully, I was there two weeks ago and I don't think that is there anymore. Brothers and sisters, we dilute the grace of God when we generalize it that way. Listen, grace is personal and it's effectual. When God calls you, he calls you personally and he brings you, he draws you into the fold as we see exemplified here in the story of Zacchaeus. 
Friends, this should cause you to relish your salvation all the more. Think about this. Out of the seven plus billion people walking on planet Earth right now, sitting, walking, whatever they're doing, breathing on the planet right now, you know, know this, that you are known, loved, and called out personally by the God of the universe. While the gospel must be preached to everyone, God brings sinners in one by one, ultimately known and called personally by him. Let that settle over you, friends. Your salvation, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, your salvation, your conversion was initiated by the holy God of the universe who knows you intimately and called you personally. You may not have been perched up in a tree, but wherever you were, the Lord found you and he called you. The one who created the stars and the, and the universe, the very one who is holy, the very one to whom we will give account, pursued you and called you. Brothers and sisters, grace is a work of divine initiation whereby the God of the universe calls us personally as we see in the ex example here of Zacchaeus. Number two, second truth that we see about the grace of God, not only is it divinely initiated, grace is undeservedly given. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Not only that, a chief tax collector, we said that. And we know that tax collectors worked for this oppressive Roman government. Most tax collectors in this part of the world, they're in, in Jericho or Jerusalem and in, in Israel, would have been Jewish folk. It would have been Jews hired by Rome to collect taxes for Rome. And we know that tax collectors, one of the ways that they made their money, not only would they collect the taxes that was due to the Roman government, they would add to those taxes so that they could make a living themselves, kind of a commission of sorts. And that was kind of a subjective thing. They could come up with whatever they wanted to as far as their commission goes. You know, they didn't have the little iPads where they would turn it around and say, would you answer a few questions for me and, and tip, right? No, they would just tell you how much you're tipping because their income depended upon it and they could take advantage of that system. So tax collectors would work for the Roman government. They were hated in Israel because they were helping Rome really keep a heavy hand on the people by collecting these, these unruly taxes. Tax collectors obviously would benefit financially from it. We're told here he's a chief tax collector, a chief tax collector probably because he was good at being more crooked than the other tax collectors. The text says he was rich. Again, likely due to exploiting and defrauding many, many people in his life. He was benefiting financially because of how he took advantage of others. So you can see why a tax collector would not have been a very popular person. They, they, were, they were despised. And what does Jesus do when he comes into Jericho? I mean, think about this. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes into town, there's a massive crowd following him. We don't know how many, we just know there's a crowd following him. Enough where Zacchaeus, the short guy, can't see Jesus. And so he goes and gets in a tree, likely concealed from the crowd, but Jesus knows he's there. 
Jesus could have very easily walked right past that tree. Could have, could have done that. But what does he do? No, he doesn't walk past the tree. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't say, hey, watch out for that guy up there. I know he steals from you. You should keep your eyes out from him. He doesn't warn the people about his crooked ways. He doesn't ignore him. He goes straight to him. Understand this scene. Here we have a despised, wealthy man, an outcast of sorts, but Jesus makes a beeline for him. And we've seen this so often throughout the Gospel of Luke. It's often, as Luke exposes us through the ministry of Jesus, this truth, it's often the unlovely, the ungodly, and the undesirable that Jesus goes to. Those he pursues. Last week, just last week, we saw how Jesus Back in chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, he heals a blind beggar. Again, another outcast in a different kind of way. This blind beggar living under the oppressive system of Rome, simply begging for his livelihood. In our text today, quite a contrast. You have a rich oppressor of sorts who had everything he could want. And Jesus' ministry is to go into Jericho and show us the vast reach of God's grace. He's showing us that he came to extend mercy to the poor and the wealthy, the sick and the healthy, the oppressed and the oppressor. No one, what we're saying in in this text, not only in chapter 19, but in the greater context is that no one is outside the reach of the grace of God. Here we have two men, the blind beggar and the chief tax collector, opposite sides of the social spectrum, and Jesus extends grace and compassion to them both. We also see a contrast, don't we, between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler that we saw just a while back there in chapter 18 as well. If you go back to chapter 18, the rich ruler Remember in chapter 18, verses 24 through 25, Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel, which his point is being it's, it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God in their, in their own way, in their own strength. Because they responded, then those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? Well, here we see the impossible being made possible through the example of Zacchaeus, don't we? I love what J.C. Ryle said about this passage. He said, it is impossible with a passage like this in mind to speak too highly about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot express strongly enough that in him is an infinite willingness to welcome and an infinite ability to save sinners. I wonder if our, if my, if your, if if our view of grace and our welcome of sinners is as big as Jesus is. 
do we see people, no matter where they fall on the social, political, theological spectrum, do we see them as potential objects of God's grace? Do we have a growing willingness individually and corporately as a church, do we have a growing willingness to welcome those of all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of lifestyles and all kinds of sins? Listen, I know that people would define these terms differently or they would give exam different examples of these, these descriptions. So when you think of someone who is vile, despised and repulsive, depending on who you ask, you're gonna have different examples of what that would look like. But would someone who's deemed as vile, despised, and repulsive be welcomed in this gathering today? The chief tax collectors of the world. I can't help but read this text and, and, and think about the crowds that day. They were the ones who had originally welcomed Jesus into Jericho all hyped up on his arrival, and now in verse seven, they're grumbling. Notice the text tells us they're, they're grumbling when they saw Jesus call Zacchaeus down. Zacchaeus hurries down and receives Jesus joyfully, and verse seven says, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Are we prone to grumble or celebrate when God's grace is extended to the ungodly? Brothers and sisters, this text pushes us to be a people whose welcome is wide. This text pushes us to understand that the purpose and the ministry of Jesus was to come and seek and save the lost, to come and redeem the vile, the repulsive of the worlds. And sometimes I wonder if churches forget that. I'm not saying we have, I'm just saying it's a good time to check our hearts, good time to check our, our reflex of these kinds of things. When we think about the detestable of the world, the, the reviled of the world, the repulsive of the world, the, the worst of sinners, however you wanna define that, I know the Bible defines it, but just pick, a, pick, pick one or two and you think about those who repulse you the most, would they be welcome when you're home? Would they be welcome in this church? Would our welcome of them be obvious and would our arms be open wide? Doesn't matter what others may think. Would we be in that position of understanding that grace for sinners is what Jesus came to extend? Friend, you may find yourself here today or watching with our live stream. You may find yourself struggling under the weight of your past or present sin. You, you may come to this passage today and you may feel more in the, in the shoes or the sandals, we could say, of Zacchaeus than you do anyone else. Maybe you're the one that, that feels like the outcast. Maybe you feel like due to your, your sin in the past or even present struggles of sin that you feel kind of repulsive yourself. 
You feel the defilement that sin has brought into your life and, and you just feel that ugliness that, that sin causes. Friend, I would just tell you that this passage reminds us that, that no matter how ungodly or undesirable we may seem to others or even ourselves, no one is too far gone for Jesus to save. So friend, be encouraged. Your sin may be great, but we have a great Savior who loves sinners. A Savior who went to a cross and died in the place of sinners, taking upon himself the judgment that our sin deserved. And so if you come here today and you're thinking, I am a defiled sinner, I am guilty of these sins, friend, I would urge you to look to Christ. He came for people just like you. That's his mission, that's his ministry. Verse 10, he comes to seek and save the lost. And guess what? All of us are born into this world lost because all of us are sinners. As Christians, one of the things that I think that we often would do well to do would be to pray for God to grow our compassion for the outcasts for the vile, for the repulsive. Because sometimes I think we forget that passage that Paul mentions in Corinthians, that passage where he says, he lists all these sins and then he says, for such were some of you, but you've been washed. I think we forget that we were them. So brothers and sisters, let us be reminded of where we have been rescued from so that as we encounter the chief tax collectors of this world, the, the, the outcasts, the, the sinful of this world, that our compassion for them would grow and that we would be deliberate in the way that we minister and love and care for them, most importantly with the gospel. Passage like this should encourage our evangelism. And then number three, third characteristic of grace is that grace is personally transformative. Something clearly changes in Zacchaeus in this text. He does respond to Jesus' invitation and he receives Jesus into his home. And he's changed. He's transformed. He, he's no longer, verse 2, this chief tax collector who was rich, he's no longer a greedy swindler, but now by the time we get to the end of the text, he is a generous giver. And at the end, Jesus explains why. Verse nine and 10, he says, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. See, verse 9 and 10 are the grounds from which verse 8 happens. Zacchaeus was converted. Now, we're not told at what point in this text he was converted. We're not told specifics of when, at what moment his heart was changed. We know that he had an encounter with Jesus, and he is a different man that day. 
And that salvation that he encountered, verse nine, resulted in several things demonstrated by his response and now his life. Let's look at these things. What happens to us when, when, we're, when we encounter the gospel? What happens when, when, to our lives when we meet Jesus? Several things that we see. Number one, when we encounter the gospel in a saving way, the gospel reshapes our identity. Virtually everyone in Jericho would have viewed Zacchaeus as a despised, greedy thief, a puppet for Rome who had become wealthy by robbing people of money through the tax system. And we see just how the people felt in this text after Jesus invited him down and goes to his house, they grumbled. How can he go and be the guest of a man who is a sinner? As far as society was concerned, that's who Zacchaeus was. He's a sinner. He's a thief. But now, this sinner, this outsider, this evil man, this ungodly outsider was now an insider. He had traded his earthly riches for heavenly riches. Jesus no longer viewed him as a sinner, but as a son of Abraham. I guess we could sing another cheesy song, Father Abraham, right? Didn't matter what the crowd's view of Zacchaeus was. Due to the fact that he had an encounter with Jesus, a saving encounter with Jesus, he had a new identity. Here's the reality, friends, we find in the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that the perfect son of God came into the world, lived a perfectly righteous life and died upon the cross for sinners to take upon himself the judgment and wrath that we deserve as sinners. He dies in our place. He's raised three days later from the grave in triumphant victory over death, hell, and the grave once and for all. The fact that Jesus does this the gospel, that's the good news of what Jesus has done for us. That, brothers and sisters, is the basis of our standing before God, not the perspective of others. Let that encourage you. It doesn't matter to the extent of how people view you. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. If you are in Christ, listen, some of you need to hear this this morning. If you are in Christ, your past no longer defines you. If you follow Jesus, doesn't matter how wicked, how vile, how repulsive your past was, that no longer defines you. You're no longer sinner. You're an adopted son and daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And let that resonate in your heart this morning because you may, hear, you may hear from your own internal voice, thinking about past, thinking about even present struggles you may have. You may hear voices that are telling you otherwise, but brothers and sisters, if you are following Jesus, 
You are no longer defined by your sin, you are defined by the gospel. Jesus changes everything. Con contrast this again with the, the, the rich young ruler back in chapter 18. I want you to go back to chapter 18 just for a second. Chapter 18, verse 18. Remember the rich young ruler, Jeremy walked us through this passage a couple weeks ago. This ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice he asked the question. Zacchaeus doesn't even ask the question. So here you have this rich man asking Jesus, what must I do to become a Christian, to be saved, to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments. And what is his response? Well, I've done all of those things. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. We know he hasn't, but okay. At least externally, you, you seem to be a moral person. It says in verse 21, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, hearing this, says to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And verse 23 tells us, but when he heard these things, he became very sad. Why? For he was extremely rich. And then that's when Jesus says, it's easier for, or how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Notice in this text how the rich ruler is identifying himself with his riches and he can't forsake his riches in order to follow Jesus. By the time you get to chapter 19, you have another rich man who's exploited people in order to become rich he doesn't even ask, what must I do to be saved? Jesus invites him, he saves him, and he's selling all of the, has it, not all, some, gives to the poor, half of his goods, and if he's defrauded anyone of anything, he says, I restore it fourfold. So Zacchaeus is no longer, being ident no longer identifying himself through his riches. He now has a new identity, and that identity is in Christ. He's no longer holding on to the things that he used to identify himself by his wealth, his status. No, he's a converted man. The only status that matters in his life right now is the fact that he's met Jesus. The gospel reshapes our identity. I, I can't help but think, not, not only when, when, we, when we meet Jesus, not only is our identity changed, our community changes. He takes you and he puts you within a community of, guess what? Other redeemed sinners who also have new found identity. I mean, imagine the scene at Jericho Baptist Church. You have a blind beggar and rich Zacchaeus now in home group together. And it's because of the grace of God because they both have new identities, completely opposite ends of the social spectrum. And because of their, their encounter with divine grace, they now have a new identity and they've been brought into the same community. The gospel reshapes that. Number two, the gospel reorients our joy. As soon as Jesus looks up to Zacchaeus and calls for him in the tree, we're told Zacchaeus comes down, right? Look at verse six. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Again, contrast his response in verse six to the response of the crowd in verse seven. Zacchaeus comes down and receives Jesus joyfully. The crowd sees it and they grumble. Two completely different reactions to the same 
events. Zacchaeus experienced Jesus's compassion and his mercy and he rejoiced. Why did he rejoice? Was it because that he didn't think he was that bad of a sinner and Jesus wanted to hang out with him that day? Of course not, he knew he was corrupt. He was in fact a sinner, yet Jesus sought him out. We know verse 10 tells us, Jesus comes to seek and save those who are lost. Zacchaeus is rejoicing because despite his sin, despite his corruption, Jesus comes after him and welcomes him. Friend, isn't that true of us all? We all are sinners, we all are guilty before God. We are all vile and corrupt in our own ways. Sin just, just condemns all of us. All of sin and falls short of the glory of God. Yet God in his kindness delivers us from sin. How could we not rejoice? Friend, I just, I ask you to, to consider this as a Christian, those of you who are following Jesus. Maybe you've been a Christian a very long time. Maybe you've been a Christian a very short time. Have you grown complacent with your salvation? What I mean by that is do you still experience the joy of knowing Christ and being set free from your sin? If not, what may be distracting you and robbing you of that joy? Zacchaeus knew he, he had nothing to give Jesus except a life of corruption. And he rejoices because he understands just how bad off he is spiritually and how much Jesus is going to give him. I don't know if he understood it all in that exact moment, but we, we see he receives him joyfully. And that continues on through obedient living, which leads me to the third observation. Of what the gospel does, the gospel reforms our living. Whenever we encounter Jesus in a saving way, we are transformed. We're given a new heart, we're given new affections, we're given new priorities. It doesn't mean we're suddenly made perfect and never struggle with sin again, or have to, or it doesn't mean that we no longer have to fight to persevere in the faith. No, we understand those things are realities that we wrestle with, but it does mean when we encounter Christ that our life takes on a whole new trajectory. Saving faith brings about change, a life of repentance, a life that now heads into a new direction. And we see this modeled by Zacchaeus, don't we? Again in verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now Zacchaeus didn't just make this amount of money up. He didn't sit back and say, wow, Jesus has changed me. What would be a good amount for me to kind of give back that I've taken? Let's give four times back. No, he didn't just make that up. He's probably as a good Jew familiar with Exodus chapter 22. And in Exodus chapter 22, what you find are laws of restitution of what very clearly in very different kinds of circumstances, God gives us there in the, that law in, in those laws from Exodus 22, what restitution should look like. And so what seems to be the case is Jesus, or Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, he's saved by Jesus, and now he's obeying the Bible. 
He reveals through this experience of grace, his new heart. He goes from a prideful, greedy man to a humble, generous man. How does that happen? Especially in this short amount of time. The only way that happens, friends, is, is Jesus being transformed by the grace of God. Friends, Zacchaeus shows us clearly from this, from this encounter, Zacchaeus shows us how the gospel directly impacts every area of our life, whether personally, socially, or any other category you wanna come up with. See, Zacchaeus had benefited greatly from a corrupt tax system, and the moment he meets Jesus, he's ready to make restitution. He's not told to do this. He does it. He encountered a costly love from Jesus and now he's changed and empowered by the grace of God to offer that same kind of love and compassion and mercy to others. He's been part of this corrupt system and now because of the grace he had experienced, he seeks to act justly in a way that shows genuine care and love for others. As again, the gospel does this. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that who Jesus is, what he came to do. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is the son of God who comes into the world to save sinners through his obedient life, his sacrificial death and his triumphant resurrection. And the promise is that for all, blind beggar or chief tax collector, for all who would repent of their sin, turn from their sin and put their hope and trust in Jesus by faith in his life, death and resurrection, all will be forgiven and they will be adopted into the kingdom of God. They'll be saved. They'll receive eternal life. But what we see, friends, is that gospel also begins, becomes the very foundation from which we live out a new life. We have a new agenda. It not only changes our future destiny, it reforms our present priorities. And thus there are many applications that we could see that the gospel brings about in our lives. And you see that oftentimes in the scripture in Romans. The first 11 chapters are all about the work of divine grace in saving sinners and the chapters 12 through 16 are the applications of that gospel, how that now affects us and how we live out our lives and community and relationship in so many other areas of life. You see it in Ephesians, the first three chapters being about the gospel and how in chapters four, five, and six, how that fleshes itself out in application. So much changes when we meet Jesus. It fosters this renewed desire to live for God's glory and not our own comfort. It brings about a humility that compels us to serve others, to seek justice, to do good, to consider others more important than ourselves. God's gracious loves towards us is the basis of our grace and generosity towards others. It informs relationships, friends, family, et cetera. It redirects, it redirects how we think about so many different things. In this case, money is the example. Zacchaeus understands he's become wealthy. He has all this money because he's cheated people out of it. And now he's giving back. He's, he's, re, he, he's, making, he's repenting. He's turning now to, to give back what he's taken. He's making restitution and he's, he's wanting to be generous now. So much changes when we encounter the grace of God. Friends, a life that encounters the grace of God is a life that will be lived out in obedience to him. Zacchaeus wanted a better view of Jesus that day and he got a whole lot more. The life Zacchaeus knew when he climbed up into that tree that day 
was a very different life that he experienced when he climbed down. What is the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus is to come to seek and save the lost. We could say so much more, I get it. But we had one sentence, that's it. That's what he does here. He's seeking and saving the lost. He is the great seeker. He is the great savior. And because of his sovereign, deliberate grace, sinners can be rescued, sinners can be transformed and given a life they never imagined possible. Friend, it may be that Jesus is calling you out by name today. Maybe you are hearing this text and, and you think, wow, I think the Lord may be calling me to follow him. Praise God. If that is the case, turn to him, turn to Jesus. Put, your, put all of your hope in him. Turn to him in faith and receive salvation. And for those of us who have experienced this grace, let's never take it for granted. Let's be humbled by the grace of God. Let's continue to rejoice in this grace. And let's continue to buy his grace and strength to give our lives as faithful stewards that we may be trophies of his grace for his glory for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and how it informs and reforms our lives. Lord, thank you for this picture of grace exemplified through Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus for how it shows us just how deliberate you are in the pursuit of the ungodly. Father, it reminds us that we too are sinners. We too are entirely dependent upon your grace to save us. And Lord, we're reminded that there is no one too far gone that they can't be rescued. So Lord, would you work this passage into our hearts and lives in specific ways in which we need to hear it today and to respond to it? Maybe for some of us, our, our joy is lacking. It's a reminder to us there is so much to rejoice in and celebrate in because of who you are and what you've done. Maybe some are hearing this today and they, they've been clinging too much to the voices of this world telling them just how bad they are and how much of an outcast they are. But Lord, you may be very well calling them to put their hope and trust in you and give them a new identity. Whatever you're telling us, Lord, today through this passage, would you help us to respond in joyful and humble obedience to you that you would be glorified and praised. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for how it cuts into our lives in ways that only you can. So Lord, we thank you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.